Amen. Thank you all. Well, good morning in person and online. Glad you joined with us today. Uh, Our prayer as a a church is that you would experience the living God in a personal way and that that experience would go somewhere. Uh, Essentially, uh, the book of 1 John is, is what we're in, and one of the main themes that I've taken from this is when we come to know and understand that God loves us, uh, you can't help but express that love to people. And so, uh, 1 John 4, the, we're going to be in verses 7 through 21 today uh, as our primary text. We've, we've titled this series, The Way. And essentially, one, what I come to understand, and part of the reason we title that, is I think if you want to get love right, you must get God right. And if you get God right, you will get love right. And John continues to show us, as well as the full canon of Scripture, that in order to get God right, there is one way, and that's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians says the full plans of God have been realized through Jesus Christ. And so we talk a lot in our culture about love, uh, whether it's lacking or whether we're longing for it. Um, Everybody in the world holds up love, and they should. And so it ought to be something that we pursue, that we seek to understand. And I'm so grateful for the book of 1 John because it gives us the how. Um, It kind of unfolds and unwraps the secret of how to understand, to receive, and to give love. And so if you guys uh, would bow with me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we... Just like we sung, we have nothing without you. And so now we ask, and I ask that uh, we would communicate with clarity, that we would communicate with power, and that you would grant us understanding of your great love for us and your plan for us as individuals and your plan for mankind. Amen. 1 John... 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so this has been repeated many times in this book from John. And basically, understand that John ties loving others with our identity, being born of God, and he also ties it into our intimacy with God. So the first thing he establishes, you must be born of God, but also you must know God. In order to cultivate our relationship with God, to spend time with him, to grow, to believe of his love for you, that is the way that you're going to learn to express to love those around you, whether very near or whether very far. So I believe the greatest gift that you can give your friends, your kids, your spouse, is to learn, to understand, and to know that God loves you. The greatest gift that I can give those closest to me is to cultivate my relationship with God. You think about the people that you look up to their walk. You think about the people that you have observed, either from a distance or close, and and you recognize that they have spent time growing intimate with the creator of the universe. If you watch those people, certain to follow that is you're impressed with the way that they treat you. 
You're impressed with the way that they make you feel. You're blessed by the ministry they have to those around them. Verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So again, we've heard John talk about this as well, right? He continues to tie together this idea of how you treat people is in direct correlation to how you view God and what you receive from God. So two times in these, I think it's 14 verses, John says that God is love. In verse 8 and verse 16, he's saying the essence of love is God. And love does not exist apart from God. Now, I believe that that people who are lost, who don't know God, who don't declare God as their Lord and as their Savior, I believe they can do loving things. But perhaps it's not with pure motive. Perhaps there's something they get back from it. And certainly, we do get reward from love. But you think we, we throw this idea around called boomerang love, where I love you only to receive something back. Whether it's even in the words, hey, I love you, and the only reason I'm telling you that is so that you'll respond back and then I'll feel good. So love, in the purest sense, agape love, divine love, is a giving kind of love. A love that that is for the object in and of itself. We'll talk a little bit more about that further. Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest. Uh, Manifest means out in the open, to be seen, to be revealed, to be uh, put on exhibition. The love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So verse 9 says, this is the proof, the, the main proof that God loves us was expressed in sending his son to the world. And catch this, it says, John pulls out in verse 9, it says, why did he send his son to the world? So that we might live through him. So understand, many times I think we struggle with our purpose. We kind of have an idea that we're here for a reason, but in the day-to-day life, you, you start to to grab onto what's God asking of me? What's God want of me? Why did God create me? What's my purpose? If, you've, if you're one of those that often struggles with your purpose, hear this. Why did God send his son into the world? So that we might live through him. In other words, our purpose is to express, to make the love of God visible. Verse 11 continues to build on that. Beloved. Understand the identity there, right? John continues to use this. Beloved. 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 If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the command. A couple times in the scripture it says, love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, as I was reading through this, I thought, so interesting. We get a lot of these repeat words like love each other, God is love, abide appears six times in these verses, twice implied, so that's eight times. Talks about abiding, which I I think means to stay connected to 
or to remain in. So it tells us to abide in God, to stay connected to his love. So all these repeat things. But then this, this thing that feels out of place to me on first reading, it says we also ought to love one another. And then verse 12, look at that. It says no one has ever seen God. Kind of seems like what, what, is, what is that doing in there? And then it just kind of goes on. But look where it goes on to. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so here's what I'm coming to understand, I think that means, and why John put that in there. This whole thing is about experiencing God and connecting that to experiencing love from people. And so he stops and says, no one has ever with their eyes seen God. However, God abides or lives in his people. And I think John's saying, so the way that the world is going to see God is primarily through people. There's other ways that we see God. In fact, uh, my friend Pat Karn continues to talk about how much he loved Christmas, and he always would tell me he feels like that is the most normal the world is. And what he means by that is during the Christmas season, during the holiday season, there's certainly tough times and stressful times, but people embrace this idea of generosity. They're generous with their resources. They're generous with their love. They're generous with their time to people close to them and to strangers. And he continued to show me and teach me that's the design. That's, what, that's what's normal. That's what God intended, is to put his love on display. In other words, your purpose is to bring an invisible God out into the open where he can be seen. So, I'm called as a parent to disciple my children. And I really believe that even though in my family I continue to, to, to preach the gospel to my kids or to read them his word or to pray over them and uh, the, the name of Jesus is often in our house thinking about how it applies to our life, but I really think the, the primary impact that I have on my kids is the way that they see Sherry and I love each other. I was a youth pastor for years, and I continued to be impressed by those kids didn't remember the message, but they remembered the way that love was expressed through my wife and I when we were 24 years old. I've coached thousands of people in athletics, and hopefully they've learned some things about athletics from me, but as they interact with my family on road trips, I believe that the weight of preaching the gospel, or the reason that my own children can dare to believe the message of Jesus Christ, and that is the only way to love, is because they have seen love expressed from my wife and to my wife. Going back again, I really believe that what is going to add credibility when you preach Jesus to people is the way that you love. And all of a sudden, your words have weight because they have seen and felt and been blessed and ministered to by the way that you live. Go back to the very beginning of this. It says, so that we might live through him. That's why God sent the Son to be the Savior 
of the world. Verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Once again, John pulls us back to this idea of seeing evidences of God. The greatest culmination of that is that, uh, is it Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. In other words, if we want to know what God is like, where do we look? Look at Jesus, the man, the God-man. We're getting ready to celebrate when God invaded earth on Christmas as a little baby and then lived perfectly to give his life for us. Propitiation, that word means substitute or we were wrong and he made us right. We were wrong with God and Christ made us right with God. And when that took place, then it continues to say, why did I do that? Why did I clean the vessels? Why did I mend the broken? In order for you to put God on display. I've had a couple conversations, I've had a lot of conversations with people. Um, A lot of them start with some real heartache. But many times when you get to be invited into kind of the sacred places of people's heartache, you also get to worship and glorify God when he invades that trouble, when he invades that darkness. Uh, A couple of the most probably moving things for me to bring uh, the love of heaven down to earth is when I continue to hear about a spouse who has been unfaithful. And when that is revealed, when that is confessed, when that is caught, and a couple continues to talk through the hurt And multiple times, I have heard testimony of the offended spouse being crushed, extending the forgiveness of God that they have received by the death of Jesus Christ, and after that extension, pursued intimacy with their spouse. If that isn't seeing God, I don't know what is. If your heart and your eyes aren't ministered to when you have wronged someone and someone extends incredible, not only forgiveness, but then, as Romans says, blessing. And in that moment, your heart should say, that's what God's like. How are those people able to do that? Let's continue to read. John continues to give us The how. In verse 13 it says, Because he has given us his Holy Spirit. 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Again, he says, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this... His love is perfected, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he was, as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, twice in this verse and earlier in this book, we hear John talk about the love of God perfected. 
And so that can mean a few things. One, I think it might mean, as it says in verse 16, that you have come to know and believe that God loves you. But I also think it means uh, we might be able to substitute perfected, not that God's love is lacking, but he wanted it to be completed. So you might even say to complete the circuit or to fulfill the purpose to which it was sent, it needs brought full circle. And so when, when John says uh, the love of God is perfected in us, I think what I believe is that as God gave that out to us, the intended purpose is for us to fully receive that, fully believe that, and then the perfection or the completion of that is to give that away. Scripture says that a man who is governed or moved by the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't necessarily see the wind, but what do you see? You see the effects of it. You see the grass move. You see the flags stand straight. It says, so it is with the man who is moved by the Spirit of God. I hope you hear what I'm saying. That in order to give love, you first must receive it. And I'm fully convinced, verse 16, so that we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. When you truly believe that God loves you, you will love people. That's my prayer for my kids. That's my prayer for my church. That's my prayer for the lost. Brendan Manning says he kind of thinks that there's one question that will be asked in Judgment Day. Jesus will say, did you believe that I loved you? Because everything flows from that. If there's anything that's been good in my life, like pure, righteous, holy, loving, I am convinced it's because God has given me the faith to know and believe that he loves me that the cross and the life and death of Jesus Christ is huge in my life. It is the grandest thing. And I'm convinced that that and that alone is the only thing that qualifies me to do anything of value. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it says, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus. And those are interesting words to pair together, aren't they? Strong in grace. To be strengthened by grace. That's probably my most common prayer over my kids. And I, God kind of gave me a picture of this uh, as I was thinking and praying. You think about, I think strength means uh, immovable. Hold on to. It doesn't change. And so what's it look like to hold on to grace? What's it look like to continue to park on and bet the house on the fact that God loves you because of who he is and because of his love? I got this picture of the Lion of Judah walking by my side. And to be strong in that is to continue to stay near the lion, continue to hang on to the lion, continue to be aware of the lion. Don't leave the lion. 
And then part of me realized, here's the beauty about grace. Even when I take my hand off the line, even when I walk away, the line stays with me. Parked right by my side. Forever guiding me. Forever protecting me. Forever delighting in me. Now don't get me wrong, there is no place on earth that you can go to avoid consequences for choices. There's always consequences for our choices, good and bad. But I am fully convinced that there is no place in heaven or hell on earth or in existence that can escape the love of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God. Where do we go off? Verse 19, we'll stick with the text. Verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I read about, I've never seen this, um, not a huge TV guy, but in 2010-ish, there's a TV show called Parenthood. I've heard about it. And there's this great picture in there, the Breverman family. Uh, they're weeks away from finalizing this adoption of this 10-year-old Hispanic boy named Victor. And Victor is playing in the house, and he throws a football, and he breaks the vase. And Julia, the mom, is there, and, you know, crash, and he says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll pay for it. And she says, you don't have to pay for it, but let's just remember the rule, no football in the house. And he says, so you're not going to change your mind about adopting me? She says, no, I will never change my mind. And he says, okay. And fear melts off his face and he goes off and he plays. Perfect love casts out fear. When we come to know and believe that God loves us, fear melts away. Scripture says in Romans 8, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Twice in this scripture, verse 19, in another place, it says, We love because he first loved us. So you'll start to see this perfect connection that John continues to say that, that there is this connection between God and people. In other words, he says, this gospel thing, this good news, this being made right with God and receiving love and giving love, we're going to do this together. We're going to do this together. Now, it continues to show the genesis, the beginning, the source, the power, the strength, the one who gets credit for this is God. Twice in our passage, it says God first loved us, or not that we love God, but God loved us. God doesn't need people, but in his perfect wisdom and in his perfect plan, he has decided to use his people. Whenever we start to disconnect God from people, I think we flirt with trouble. Pretty soon it becomes religion, it becomes dogmatic, it becomes oppressive, it becomes smothering to you or the people around you. Many times in the Bible we get this, this together, this connected idea where God starts something and we begin to be a part of it. In Luke 17... Verse 11 through 19, it's when Jesus heals 10 lepers. He heals these 10 lepers as he's approaching, and they take, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Well, let me get the order right. 
He sees ten lepers. He says, go, show yourself to the priest. As they're going, they're healed. Pretty interesting. One of them stops, turns around, and thanks Jesus for what he's done and praises God. So Jesus sees a need. He tells them to do something. As they obey, they're healed. So there's Jesus being the initiator of love and healing. Their response to that triggers and cultivates and empowers and comes to bring this healing to be. In the book of Joshua, it's God's talking to his people, and it says, God gives you this land to possess, and then it says, you shall cause and take possession of it. God and man, God and man, doing the dance. It says, I want you to take possession of this land that God is giving. You see, God continues to express love to us, to give commands to us, and then our faithful obedience to that completes this idea of love. It completes the gospel. Paul says it over and over, but in Colossians 1.21, he says this, For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. I toil with his energy. That's the exchange life. That's the Holy Spirit living through you. That's why you breathe. That's why you live. That's why you're here. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Verse 21, and this is the commandment that we have for him, from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So a couple things in summary. God and love, they can't be separated. The greatest act or display of God's love is the invasion of Jesus Christ on this earth to live, die, and raise for us. That has cultivated the way, that has cleared our hearts in order for the Holy Spirit to inhabit and indwell us. Many times in our world we talk about love and so many times our country flies over to this kind of either moral relativism or seek, seek that goodness within yourself and the Bible just doesn't give that as an option. The Bible continues over and over and over and over to say, if you want to love, you must get right with God. And if you want to get right with God, there is one way. Jesus Christ. Period. Where might we miss this? What are the places in our life that that we get this wrong? Pull out a few today. One, I think sometimes we have a wrong definition of love. Scripture uses many different words for love, but one of them that we park on is this idea of agape love. It's divine love. It's the way that God loves. It's unconditional. It's self-giving. It's not self-seeking. One author says it this way. Its object of agape love, its object is not loved because of its perceived value. Rather, it is loved because it is loved, it becomes valuable. In other words... God sanctifies things. Something's just a candlestick until God says it's sacred and then it's holy. It's just a curtain until God says it's in my temple and it's going to cause division, then it's holy. Common things that God touches and all of a sudden they become of infinite value. I wasn't real sure Bill Murray was going to work his way into my sermon, but I think he's about to. There's a story of people at a restaurant eating a meal 
Bill Murray walks by and he grabs a fry off a guy's plate and he bites half of it and he puts the rest on his plate and he says, they'll never believe you. And he walks away. Fry is just a fry until Bill Murray takes a bite of it, right? Now there's more to it. And you know people in your life that, that when, when they touch you, something happens. When God puts his hand on something, it becomes valuable. That's agape love. That's, he gives it to us. I think one of the main reasons we struggle with knowing and believing that God loves us and therefore expressing that is because we continue to look to ourself. We continue to look to what we've done. We continue to look to what we will do. We continue to look to our own credentials to justify it. We want to find a reason God saved us. Listen to this story about a Canaanite woman, a non-Jew, Syrophoenician woman. It takes place in Matthew 15 and also in Mark 7. I'm going to read in Mark 7. I want you to... It's an interesting piece of scripture here. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman, whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of his, her daughter. And he said to her, Let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What an interesting response. This woman asked for Jesus to heal and cast out a demon. He basically says, my work is for my children, Jews, not the dogs. He calls her a dog, essentially. Listen to her response. But she answered, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, the demon gone. What did this woman appeal to for God's grace, for God's healing? Totally his mercy and his goodness. In some ways, he says a dog, and she doesn't refute it. She says, yep, and even dogs can get benefit if you so choose. That's the gospel. Man is nothing. God is everything. But when you come to believe that he wants to and chooses to love you, you don't refute that you're nothing, but when he touches you, you become divine nature. You become vessels and vehicles of the expression of his love. If you want to believe that God loves you, take note from this woman. Last story I want to give you, and then we're going to take communion. Many of you understand or have heard the prodigal son story, Luke 15, about the, the two sons and the loving father, and one son goes away on uh, godless living. But when he comes back, we get this picture, and I want you to get this picture of a loving father. Maybe it's a busy house, there's all kinds of people, imagine hosting a Christmas party and you got some people but you're still the father is sitting on the porch still waiting for you to come still waiting for one guest to come and he's just waiting and he's just waiting and as soon as he sees you the father jumps the porch railing and you get to watch God run and when he runs at you 
he embraces you with a hug and he picks you up. I have an old friend that he used to always tell me, your feet are swinging. I said, what do you mean by that? Every time he'd leave me, he'd say, your feet are swinging. And what he meant is he wants to hug me so tightly and lift me off the ground that my feet are swinging. Beloved, God runs towards you and your feet are swinging. And when you come to know and believe that, you will love people. You will find your purpose in being the expression of the living God. As Jesus expressed the Father, his people express the Spirit. We're getting ready to take communion. As we partake of this, God gives us all kinds of encouragements and graces and reminders of this truth that John has preached to us that we've been talking about today. That when you take communion, the idea is the bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. The blood represents the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then we take that in. It becomes a part of you to do something within you and propel something from you. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and what you're about to do physically represents what has taken place in your life spiritually, take out. And if you don't have it, raise your hand and Mr. Rice will get you somewhere. You can run to the back if you don't have the little communion cups. But if you have it, take the bread. And if this is something that you have never done, not just communion, but put your faith, ask Jesus to make what we've talked about, to cleanse you, to come and live in you, and to empower you to be a vessel of love. If you want to get love right, do this with us. Take and eat the bread. And to remind us that this was freely given, but it came at a cost. The greatest cost ever to be spent. The life of God, the blood of his son Jesus poured out for us. Take and drink. I'm going to pray, and then the, the band is going to sing a song that I'm so excited about. They're going to sing about how God has touched lives by people. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for giving yourself to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the faithful men and women who have gone before that allow us to come to know and understand and relate to God in an accurate way and therefore relate to each other. I pray your anointing upon the rest of this service and upon the band and just minister to our hearts. Amen.